For hundreds of years, the planet Mars has been the subject of heated controversy among scientists. Falcon Heavy is configured for flight. Tango Delta nominal. Five, four, three, two. Main engine start, zero, and liftoff of the Delta rocket with opportunity. When you look at a planet as one little tiny dot in space, it, it really isn't representative of what's going on on the planet. It's a stretch goal. It is so audacious. We are one world, and that we are more connected than we um, give ourselves credit for a lot of the time. Hello, welcome to We Martians. I'm Jake Robbins. Well, Martians, I know you're probably wondering what you're hearing right now. After all, didn't I say the show was ending? Well, I did, and it is. But as I was wrapping things up, an opportunity came by to produce one last interview about a mission that is really quite special to me. Insight. Late last year, Insight called home for the final time before a lack of power to its solar panels ultimately ended its work on the surface of Mars. It survived almost twice as long as was planned and delivered an incredible and novel seismic data set that will be a boon to planetary science on Mars for a long time. Almost five years ago, I was at Vandenberg Air Force Base when Insight launched on an Atlas V rocket. It was the middle of the night and the infamous Vandenberg marine layer fog obscured my view completely, but I heard it and I felt it and those vibrations will stay with me forever. I mean, what better way to experience the launch of a geophysical mission anyway? Dr. Bruce Bannard is the principal investigator for Insight, and I got to speak to him briefly at the launch back in 2018. And so when the opportunity came up to interview him one more time here on the other side of the mission, I knew it was the right thing to do to sneak out one last show in the feed. The perfect bookend for me. Bruce joins me today to talk about the final months, the successes of the mission, and the future of planetary seismology. All right, so we're here today with Dr. Bruce Bannert from NASA's InSight mission. Bruce, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on. Um, you know, I, InSight mission is very special to me. It's uh, I've been doing this podcast for about seven years, and InSight is the only mission that I have covered from start to finish. So it has this like really <laughs> uh, distinct, distinct place in my heart that I will never forget. It. I got to be there for the launch, and uh, it's always just. It's always going to be special to me. So uh, having you on here as uh, sort of the the last guest of this podcast is is perfect for me. I'm I'm just I'm jazzed about that. Oh, that's that's that's, that's great. We're sort of soulmates because it's it's a, a really special mission for me too, for 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 obvious reasons, probably. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe for for someone who doesn't know who you are, can you maybe just give us a bit of a rundown of uh, uh, your background? How did you become a planetary scientist, and how did you, uh, uh, you know, what's the the short story of of how you got into getting insight going and and done? Okay, well, I don't, I don't know if there's a if there's a short story in there because it, it was it was a long path. Um, as far as how I became a planetary scientist, I mean, I I grew up. I was like six years old when the first Mercury astronauts were were blasted into space, and I was just fascinated by that. It was always always my dream to 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 work in in space. Of course, I wanted to be an astronaut when I was a kid, but. Uh, I found out later that astronaut jobs are actually kind of crummy jobs. <laughs> they have to work <laughs> hard, and, and they have, they're, they're always told what to do. And as, as a scientist, you, you get to kind of do what you want to do to some extent, as long as you can you can convince somebody else that, that what you're doing is interesting and important. So um, anyway, I, I went to, to, to school, and I started studying physics, and then I... I, I got interested in, in uh, geophysics, which is kind of using physics to study 
study the earth. And then I got just kind of a, one of those random chances that come up in your life. Uh, the, the, the guy in graduate school who was, I was a scientist share an office with the other graduate student um, had uh, graduated from Caltech and, and he had worked at, during the summers at, at JPL. And uh, he says, Oh, I, I know a guy who's looking for a summer student. And, uh, 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 and I, I jumped on that and uh, I, I went to, to work at JPL uh, that first summer. I started graduate school and I, I never let go. I've, I've been working there ever since. In fact, that's the only job interview I've ever done. <laughs> so <laughs> I made it count. That's awesome. Uh, so, so as far as insights concerned, so I've been working on studying the inside of planets. I've, I've, I've just got a, a fascination with what goes on, you know, under the ground where you can't see, and you know, what what makes a planet work? How how do they how are they formed? What are they made out of? It's just just been something that's that's been of you know really uh, intense interest to me all my life, and so. I started doing a, a bunch of, uh, you know, kind of mathematical, physical modeling of, of Mars back in the, in the 70s and, and looking at how the, the big uh, sort of topographic loads, we call them the big, pla the Tharsis Plateau, the large volcanoes, how they actually, the, the forces do their, the gravity pushing them down, how that flexes the crust and, and the lithosphere, what we call the, the, the hard uh, elastic outer layer of the planets, how that how it makes that those deform, and then using that to to, to understand sort of the ge geological history of the planet. And I kept on running into the same problems over and over again. That I needed to know how thick the crust was because that was kind of a, a fundamental parameter. And all these all these you know models of of elasticity, you know, you can figure out how much something's going to bend if you know how stiff it is, which we had a pretty good idea on. And how thick it is. So you know, a, a, a piece of metal that's you know a quarter inch thick is not going to bend the same way one that's you know five inches thick, right? And so we didn't have any idea, you know, how thick the crust was. And and uh, the way we do that on the Earth is, you know, you you know have an earthquake, and earthquake waves, you know, the seismic waves go down, they bounce off the interface between the crust and the mantle, they come back up, and you pick it up at a seismometer, and you Basically, you measure the time it takes to, to, to go down and bounce back up. And, you know, people have been doing that since the early 1900s on, on the Earth, and they've mapped this, the thickness of the crust. I thought, oh, wouldn't it be cool to have a seismometer on Mars? And then, um, <laughs> lucky lucky for me, wow, they were sending one to, to Mars in, in, in 1976, which is about the time I was going to grad school. And so I was, you know, waiting for that seismic data with with bated breath and it didn't work <laughs> for a bunch of reasons and oh it was a disappointment i thought well somebody somebody ought to do that someday and, and i didn't think much more about it and then uh somebody else at jpl where i work um came to me and says hey i got this great idea he was an engineer i got this great idea for a a, a tiny little seismometer that could you know go on spacecraft um but I, I need a sort of a science front man for it. And I said, okay, I'm, I'm your guy. I'm, I, I'm, I'm a scientist. I can, I can stand in front of this thing. And so that was kind of in the, uh, around 19, oh, 1988 or so. And, um, and I got kind of pulled into it like a black hole. I, I mean, it kind of ended up kind of taking over my career, trying to, to get a seismometer, you know, either that one or, or, or another one, 
um, I, I, onto Mars or, or the moon or an asteroid or Titan. I mean, we've, we've, I've had all kinds of proposals along the way, but Mars has always been kind of the first, my, 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 my first love as it were. And so <laughs> I probably put in, oh, at least six or eight different proposals for missions, you know, which are big proposals with, you know, dozens of people working on them and, and so forth over the years. And, and none of them quite, quite made the grade because it's a, it's a pretty stiff competition. You know, there's, there's a program called discovery, which we uh, actually are funded through and every, oh, two or three years, um, they have a competition for, you know, what's, what's the, what's the coolest, most scientifically productive mission that you can do for under, you know, whatever it's, it's, it used to be under 300 million by the time insight went um, it kind of crept up to about 420 million and uh, so the year we did it there was uh, I think there's 27 other proposals and every one of them is a fantastic proposal I mean they had proposals going to Venus they had them going to uh, uh, Titan they had them going to comets and asteroids they had other ones going to Mars um, they're just, and they're all super great proposals, but somehow finally, you know, in, uh, I guess 2012, we finally got, got the, got the nod to, to, to do the insight after, um, oh, about 25 or 30 years of trying on my part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it's actually a really, um, it's a really fascinating story. Like, so I kind of did a podcast on this at the at the launch of Insight. So that's you know five years ago now. Uh, so if the listeners do want to go look at episode forty one, um, that I, I called it thirty years to the to, to Mars because or to the center of Mars because it, you know between you and you know the work of some of the others you know like Philippe Lagnonet uh, and and all this kind of stuff, all these uh, failed launches and and proposals that didn't go and just all this stuff. Like it's, it's actually like a pretty inspiring story. So uh, I encourage the listeners to check that out and you can learn more about it because um, I had fun sort of digging through your old papers to learn that stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, it's either uh, it's either inspiring or it's a cautionary tale <laughs> to yeah. the other because I mean this was insight was kind of my last proposal. It was it was like you know I I, I was you know getting getting up there right you know getting towards the end of my career and I thought you know these proposals take two years to put together. I mean it's it's not a a, a trivial task. Uh, I I think you know. Between you know JPL and Lockheed Martin, you know, we probably spent a couple of million dollars, you know, just writing this proposal and and you know lots of people's time and, and effort. And you're not doing much else when you're working on that. So I, mm -hmm. I kind of trash my my science career in in, in, in a sense. You know, I, I wasn't you know writing research papers and stuff. I was busy out you know selling this concept and working with the engineers on the design and you know just that was that was my life and. If Insight hadn't been selected, and it's always, if you have the best pr proposal that's ever written, it's still a little bit of a crapshoot as to, you know, whether it gets selected or not, because, you know, it's, it's just sort of the opinion of, you know, a couple of dozen, you know, random reviewers that, you know, yeah. they may like Venus better that year, or, you know, there's there's lots of things where they just might not like, you know, they, they might be too worried about, you know, this particular instrument, whether it can be actually you know, built to perform like we promise it will. And, and so, you know, I could have gotten up to, you know, basically, you know, a few years from retirement and what would I had to show for all that professionally, <laughs> not, not a lot, but, uh, but it was a fun, it was a fun ride the whole time. I mean, I enjoyed the whole thing. So I, I always figured, you know, even if we didn't actually, 
get to Mars with a, with a, a precise monitor, I still got to do a lot of amazing things and work with a lot of amazing people. So, yeah, yeah. but I, I'm not sure I would recommend to everybody to spend 30 years uh, <laughs> pursuing a dream, but you know, it's, it, if, if it's a worthwhile dream and it's a, and, 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 and you have fun doing it. Yeah. Go for it. <laughs> Good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, though you, you did spend 30 years, but you did get there, uh, which is the, the, the did, good part yeah. of this story. So the mission has launched, it has flown, it has landed, it has done its job. Uh, and then late last year, uh, we've, we had the end of Insight. So maybe tell us a little bit about those final months. Um, we know the test was up on the panels and power states were getting low. You guys did an awesome job of squeezing out every last uh, bit of data, um, which I thought was pretty cool. But maybe give us a little bit of a firsthand account of, of how those final months went. Well, well, as you know, you know, starting about two years into, uh, into the mission, we started getting the, the power level started getting to the point where we had to be careful about what we we're doing. You know, um, we knew that there was going to be dust on Mars. That's that's obvious. We actually knew the sort of the, the uh, rate of accumulation on solar panels had been measured by the, the uh, Mars Exploration rovers and Pathfinder. And, and so um, we actually sized our solar panels so that we knew that um, for the prime mission, which lasted one Mars year, which is about two Earth years, we would have enough power to get through the prime mission without having to, to compromise anything. And we actually made our solar panels a little bit bigger than the Phoenix uh, spacecraft solar panels when our, our spacecraft was based on the Phoenix lander. Uh, we saved a lot of money by sort of reusing that design and some of their spares and stuff like that. But we did increase the size of both of our solar panels by about, oh, it, it was about 15 or 20 centimeters uh, um, mm. in, in radius on each one, which is a, quite a bit of area at the at the yeah. edge of a of a of a two meter uh, diameter solar array. So and, and we so we, we had some margin. We we knew that we could get through that first year, and of course we had our fingers crossed that maybe you know we would get those panels cleaned off. You know because uh, uh, spirit and opportunity. Um, we're fortunate enough to to every you know anywhere from three months to a year or so uh, something would come along. We think a, a dust devil would come along, and maybe paradoxically, since a dust devil, but it would the the, the high winds would just sweep the the, the the panels clean, and they would start with panels that were uh, almost almost spick and span, um, <laughs> and we, we we'd hope that we would get the same thing. I mean, it just seemed reasonable. Um, unfortunately, we never did for the whole four years of the mission, and and we've done some studies on that, and we we found that dust devils in the region of Insight, even though there's about as many of them as there are at um, at the Spirit landing site, which was a pretty close analogy to where we landed, um, the, the the tracks are very different. In Spirit, the tracks you know wander around; they're very uh, meandering, and the trails that they they make on the ground the you know dust devil is like a vacuum cleaner you know that's a vortex it's sucking air up from the surface warm air up from the surface you know up higher into the atmosphere and it causes the the rotational motion and so it sucks off the dust as it goes over and the tracks that it made in 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 um gusev crater near spirit are are wide and meandering and so they actually sweep out a fairly substantial area in insight the tracks are very straight and very narrow. And we think that that's because of the uh, sort of the background winds are stronger 
uh, around insight. And so the amount of area that gets actually uh, cleaned off by these dust devils is about about 10 times less than uh, they are around Spirit and Opportunity. And so with a a mean time between cleanings of uh, six months, six to nine months uh, at Spirit, you multiply that by 10 and you're up into the five plus years for, Mm. you know, the average time. And so, whereas, you know, we thought it's not unreasonable that we could get something, uh, it just didn't happen. And so, our panels got more and more dusty, and we started uh, uh, playing tricks to to increase our our, our uh, um, productivity. You know, more more um, uh, science and and less engineering uh, uh, sort of activities. Uh, we would uh, we turned off some of the fault protection software, so we allowed the batteries to dip lower uh, in voltage uh, than than normally we would. Um, we cut down on the number of communication uh, uh, passes for the for the, the lander. We we uh, used at the beginning of the mission we were um, bringing down the data and communicating uh, a couple of times a day, two or three times a day. Um, we cut back to you know every every other day, uh, which was enough to get all the data down, um, and that's a, a pretty big power savings. Um, then eventually we had to turn off some of the instruments or, or just run them uh, part of the time. Uh, eventually we had to turn off everything except for the seismometer, which is our, our main instrument. And by the end, we were only communicating every fourth day. Um, we were running the seismometer for a half a day every every uh, every fourth day. And so, um, you know, we were really trying to just, just squeeze out the, the most amount of information all the way up to the end. But we never went to the, the place where we say, okay, let's turn off the instrument and just wake up, you know, every week and phone home and say, I'm still alive because we thought that would be sort of defeating the whole purpose of being on Mars. I mean, you, you right, don't right. go to Mars just to exist on Mars. Um, you go there to, to do a job, to, to, to get more information. So for the last two months, we were actually slowly depleting the battery because we said, okay, the minimum is, this, you know, 12 hours of data, you know, every fourth day, it's basically four, four um, uh, data sessions per two week sequence. We put our sequences up to the spacecraft every two weeks. So we'd have four every two weeks and we would have just enough communication passes uh, to, to bring that data down and to, to keep tabs on the spacecraft. And even so we were losing, you know, just a couple of tenths of a volt you know, every day, or a tenth of a volt, two tenths of a volt, half a tenth of a volt, and it was just kind of slowly kind of going down. So we started off at about 32 volts on the battery, and we were down to about 28 volts at the end uh, on the battery. Um, and uh, at that point, you know, when when the, the spacecraft wakes up, because what we would do, the other thing we would do is we just put the spacecraft to sleep for the whole time, except when something had to happen. So the spacecraft would go to sleep for 12 hours, then it would wake up, turn on the, the seismometer and go back to sleep. And so the seismometer is running, but nothing else is running on the spacecraft except this timer that mm-hmm. wakes it up in 12 hours. And it would wake up and it turn off the seismometer and then go back to sleep. And it would <laughs> you know, wake up the next day and you know, send the data down to earth and then go back to sleep. And you know, it, it just, we were sleeping about you know, 
95% of the time and just waking up for these very short sessions. And when it would wake up, uh, meanwhile, the batteries are still charging during the day that the solar panels are charging the batteries. But when we would wake up, especially at night, the battery would, would the voltage would, would drop. You know, it's just like if you uh, put a load on a battery, it actually drops the voltage on the battery. And um, finally, in, in December, uh, that voltage drop sort of went into the sort of the the sort of the bottom of the barrel. You know, it, it just didn't have any more electrons to give, and it pulled it down to about 22 volts. And at that point, we have uh, automatic software, which just shuts down the, the whole system and goes into uh, what we call dead bus mode. And uh, at that point, the, the the mission's over. And that's that's what happened. You know, we were, we were kind of dipping down from 28 to 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 you know 27, you know 20, you know 7.9 to to you know 26.8, and finally it just at at somewhere down around you know 26, 27 volts. There's just nothing else for the battery to give, and uh, the whole thing shut down. Wow. Yeah, that's a it's, yeah. It was a sort of a heroic end to it. You guys really kind of fought through the. <laughs> so I, I I thought that was really cool that that you kept getting you know even if it's marginal, just those little extra bits of science was a was a good way to to kind of do it. So it's a good it's a good honor for Insights Memory to keep working right to the end. Um, a question that I often have to try and answer for for people who are trying to understand these kind of final months is is why not put some sort of device on there to clean the panels uh, wipers or a canister of air or something right i, I get this question constantly uh, i think i kind of know why but maybe I, I would love to give you the opportunity to sort of speak to why we did we chose not to do that well i mean first of all you know you have to realize that everything is a trade-off you know when you're designing a, a mission like this it's like um i would love to have you know uh uh bentley you know you know, two hundred thousand dollar Bentley, and that thing would would that it'll run for you know twenty twenty five years. Those things are, are are built just amazingly precisely, and you know that that that's fine. And if I had you know that kind of money to spend on a car, that would be great. But I got a budget. You know, we had a budget for for Insight. It was you know in the end, you know, if you look at what was spent both by NASA and by all of our you know amazing uh, partners in Europe and France, Germany, the UK, we spent about, you know, over $900 million. And uh, that's, that's a lot of money, but it only, it only buys you so much when you're going to Mars. I mean, our, our original budget, we did not have, um, we, we, you know, put together a, a mission that, that, that could land on Mars, that could survive for, for at least two years on Mars and would be able to communicate and bring the data down and support a payload, but we didn't have any money left in our budget to actually pay for the instruments. Um, and, and fortunately, uh, the best instruments in the world for this particular stuff were, were being uh, built and designed in Europe. Um, and, and, and I'd been working with the, the, the people over there who, who uh, 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 were designing these instruments, the scientists and, and engineers over there uh, for, for many, many years. In fact, uh, one of the seismometers we got from the UK um, actually, that was the one that I started working on back in 1988, uh, and uh, it, it was developed by uh, further by a guy at JPL who was British and uh, decided in, in about 2000 to, to go back to the UK and, and uh, be a professor at uh, uh, in, in the UK at Imperial College. And uh, 
And so the, we, we got that instrument uh, through the UK and they paid for it. Okay. They, they, which, which allowed us to uh, have a payload and land on Mars and be within our budget. And so we're, you know, running right close to the edge in terms of the budget. And so when you do that, you say, okay, what, what is it that I absolutely need to do in order to meet my goal? Okay. So my goal was to uh, acquire seismic data for two years on Mars at a certain uh, sensitivity. Okay. And to get that sensitivity, you have to have the instrument, you have to be able to shield it from the, 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 the elements. Uh, you have to be able to uh, knock down the, the magnetic noise, the wind noise, the, the thermal noise, and you know, you have to get that data back. And so you start just, you have to chop off everything that doesn't get that job done. And it's like, well, we would you like, how long does it take to, to be able to get the information we want? We want to get the, the, the size of the core, the thickness of the crust, uh, layering in the mantle, and how long does it take? And so we had um, theories of how much many Mars quakes there, there, there we expect to have given Mars's size and it's the thermal history that we believe that it, that it underwent. Um, and we figured that with two years, we should be able to get enough data to do all that. So we designed a mission to last two years. And if you want a mission to last two years and you have a solar powered mission, um, which is the, the, the least expensive way to, to, to get to Mars and to survive on Mars, um, you need to have solar panels that are so such and such a size and, and you can get there. Now, if you wanted to last for five years, you would have to do something else. Okay. And if we needed to go to do a five-year mission, we probably wouldn't have been able to even propose to the discovery program. We would have to go somewhere that would yeah. have, you know, a, a bigger budget. And so within this discovery budget, we believed, we, we convinced ourselves and we convinced the science panel that in two years we could get the data that it would take to, to answer these. We had 10, 10, basically 10 science questions to answer. And we said, okay, we can answer these questions one through 10 with, with two years on Mars. We have a mission that will last for two years on Mars. If we want to put on a cleaning device of some sort, that's going to add $20 million, $25 million. You know, just rough, rough guess. We looked at that kind of stuff and we could either put on that cleaning device and maybe get uh, uh, some more time out of it, or we could fly a weather station, which not only would give us weather on Mars, but would help us to um, uh, deal with the noise on the seismometer and, and make our seismic data better. And so when you come right down to it, you don't need to do more than two years on Mars to answer this question. You spend your money on stuff that gets you your better science. And that's that's kind of the, 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 the long-winded answer, but it's, it's, it's really, you, you do what you have to do and you don't do more. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good because way you to can't put afford it. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, one way I've tried to, to, to explain it too, is it's like, you, you, you know, why, why is there no wipers? Well, you don't need them because that was not the objective to last for, yeah. for, for, you know, in perpetuity, right? The objective was to get, get the data. And if you have the data, then yeah. Yeah. And okay. it's not just as simple as, you know, just sticking a wiper on there because no, you know, wiper's, never got, <laughs> wiper's got motors, motors, you know, seize up in the, the dusty conditions on Mars. They, they have to operate at, you know, minus, you know, uh, 
140 centigrade all the way up to, you know, above freezing. They have to, you know, go for so many years. And then the wipers themselves, they may be, you know, pushing the dust around on the panels and, and scratching it and, and, you know, making uh, 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 opaque, uh, you know, coating on the panels unless, you know, you figure out some way to keep the, the dust from abrading. So, so there's lots and lots of, of, of issues that you have to, to deal with as soon as you start trying to, to do something simple on Mars. Yeah. Yeah. So, so looking back at the whole mission, um, you know, you have those 10 science questions that you tried to answer. How do you feel like you, you did like, well, how do you feel like you, you executed against the plan? Are, what are the big, big successes of insight and how do you kind of rate the mission, uh, now that on you're on the other side of it? Well, um, I might be biased, but, but I think it's, it was a, 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 a amazing success i mean it it so we had these 10 questions and we answered nine of them so so one of them we didn't get and that was the heat flow uh as as i'm sure you know we had a a heat flow probe that was supposed to hammer itself down you know up to to to, you know five meters below the surface and um that that didn't work in the the soil conditions that we encountered we were able to get it to, to bury itself under the ground, but we weren't able to get it to, to, you know, uh, drill down to the depths we needed to make that measurement. And that was, that was a big disappointment, but all the other questions, uh, we answered. Um, and there, there were questions like the, what's the thickness of the crust, uh, is what's the large scale sort of planetary scale layering in the crust. Um, what is the, the, the structure of the mantle, uh, the radial structure of the mantle, how does it vary with depth? Uh, what's the size of the core? What's its density? Is it liquid or solid? Um, what's the rate of, of, uh, of Mars quake occurrence? What's the rate of um, uh, meteorite impacts? Um, I don't know if, 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 if that's nine questions. I'm, I'm just doing it off the top of my head, but that's <laughs> pretty much it. I mean, we wanted the, the and, and all those things we've been able to answer <clears throat> not just sort of a preliminary answer, which we we kind of published a lot of those preliminary answers a, a couple of years ago in in, uh, in in Nature Geoscience, but we've been able to, to refine those answers since then and, and start to see things that you know that some some subtleties in there that uh, that are, are are really surprising. And so, for instance, we didn't see any impacts at all for the first two years of the mission, and since then we've seen at least eight um, Mars quake impacts. Uh, that we were able to, to to see the Mars quake signal on our seismometer and actually locate and identify the actual crater on Mars um, that was a result of of uh, a meteorite impact, which was mm-hmm. really amazing. And that's that's great seismically because now we know exactly where our seismic source was, and it's great in terms of uh, understanding sort of the the density of uh, meteorite fragments at, at Mars's orbit. So there's there's a, a, a lot of science there. So. We've been able to do that. We've been able to, you know, get these uh, parameters much more precisely, like the, the thickness of the crust, much more precisely than than we had advertised. You know, we'd said, you know, get the thickness of the crust to plus or minus ten kilometers. We were able to to get, you know, twice as as uh, as uh, precise a measurement. We've been able to pick up surface waves, which we had hoped to do, but we, you know, didn't really think it was necessarily possible. 
but we've been getting surface waves from some of our, 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 our signals. These surface waves give us a, a whole wealth of information of the, of the upper, you know, uh, 20 to 50 kilometers, uh, which, which we had hoped for, but, but we're, we're too timid to, too timid to promise. <laughs> and, and even, you know, the sort of one, one of our holy grails was, uh, to get the, um, uh, free oscillations and normal modes of Mars. Uh, you know, when if you if you hit a planet hard enough, the whole planet rings like a bell, and the frequencies at which it rings uh, tell you uh, a lot of detail about the the distribution of materials inside the planet. And we're finally, right now, starting to tease out um, the frequencies of, of some of these normal modes, uh, which we thought we would have to to have a, a really big uh, Mars quake to do that. We've been able to, you know, with this amazing instrument and the low noise that we've been able to get uh, during the night on Mars, <clears throat> excuse me, to, to actually start to tease out some of these really, really fine, uh, subtle features in, in, our, in our signal. So mm -hmm. uh, we've, we've done much, much more than, than, than what we'd advertise. And then you get away from the, the big questions that, that, we, that we had proposed for. You know, our weather station has put together, I think, the most detailed and high precision um, time series of weather measurements of any any uh, lander on Mars. We have, you know, the first two years we were on Mars, we were taking pressure measurements every two seconds, all wow. all day long, uh, you know, morning and night, and wind measurements every two seconds. Um, well, I'm sorry, the wind wind measurements every two seconds. We were taking pressure measurements ten times a second. Uh, and so oh. we have super high precision, you know, pressure pressure measurements. We have very good wind measurements. We have temperature measurements. Um, we have really uh, precise measurements of the insulation, the the amount of sunlight, you know, hitting hitting the spacecraft as a function of season. Uh, we have uh, measurements of the uh, ground temperature and how that uh, temperature wave in the ground penetrates for the first, you know, few tens of centimeters. Um, that's what our, our heat probe, flow probe was able to at least, you know, give us that kind of uh, information. Um, <clears throat> we have really detailed measure, uh, uh, information about the geology of this one spot on Mars. And this is a, a very common kind of a location on Mars. You know, there are, you know, you know, millions and millions of square kilometers that are very similar to where we landed. And the geologists have looked at the uh, the features there, looked at the the rock distribution and the uh, uh, aeolian, the the, the wind swept uh, uh, features of, and, and been able to uh, look, uh, deduce things about the 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 age of the surface and and how it evolves with time, which we can extrapolate to to large tracts of Mars. We made the first magnetic measurements on the surface of Mars. We've, we've looked at the not only the, the magnetic field uh, from the planet itself, which it turns out was about uh, 200 times larger than was measured from orbit, because hmm. we, we know now that these feet, there, there are magnetic uh, features that are, are, are small in spatial extent that you can't see from orbit. Uh, so we're on, on a, a, a high magnetic region of the crust, whereas from orbit uh, that got smeared out and, 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 and couldn't even be seen. Plus, we look at the, uh, the variations of the magnetic field from the ionic spirit currents and are, and are starting to, to work with uh, some of the orbiting missions to understand better the ionosphere and the solar wind interaction with Mars. And so these are all things that, that we may mention in a, in a paragraph or, or maybe even a sentence in our proposal, but have turned into really fruitful avenues of scientific study. So. I am so extremely proud of, of what Insight's done, and um, I, 
I couldn't have asked for more except for that that heat flow probe. It would have been really awesome <laughs> if that had worked. Yeah, yeah. So is there um like I'm curious to know what's been most surprising for you? You know, like is Mars more or less seismically active than you thought? Or like what what results really that threw you the most based on kind of your expectations before the mission landed? Well, I mean the, the, the seismic activity has been a little bit the 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 the, the way it, it it operates has been a little bit surprising. So so first of all, I think the the, the biggest surprise I had in the mission was we put the seismometer down on, on, on the ground, uh, we, we put it through its paces, we checked it out, we got it all tuned, and then we waited, and we waited and waited and waited for almost three months, almost four months, before we ever saw a Mars quake. <laughs> and that was, a tough, that was a tough wait. I mean, you know, yeah, you know, a few weeks, a month, that's, 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 that's okay. But then, you know, day after day, week after week, nothing, 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 just, just wind noise, wind noise, wind noise. And, you know, you know, three months in, you're starting to kind of think, is this actually going to work? I mean, <laughs> we, we, we promised people a lot of stuff and we're not seeing anything. And, uh, and then we got our first quake and then our second quake and then it started really rolling in. And it turned out that we landed in the, the noisy part of the season. This is the season where, you know, there's a lot of wind all day long, all night long. And it just, completely swamps, you know, whatever seismic signals there are. Um, and then we got into the quiet season, we started seeing the signals. So, so this real dichotomy between, you know, the, the, the sort of the, the noisy, you know, uh, spring and winter, uh, and, and the, uh, the, the quiet, you know, summer and fall, um, that was, Something that that we kind of anticipated a little bit, we didn't realize it was going to be nearly so so stark, such a such a huge contrast. Um, as far as Mars is concerned, the biggest uh, surprise to me is the the size that we've we've determined for the core. Um, it's it's about um, oh 150 or 200 kilometers larger in in radius than sort of our our best guess going in. You know, it's kind of at the edge of, of what we thought was, 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 was plausible just based on geochemical calculations and, and, and some measurements of, uh, of the moment of inertia, but it's, 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 it's quite a bit larger. And the implication of that is that it's much less dense than what we thought, because we know what the mass of the core is from, <clears throat> again, from moment of inertia measurements and from the, uh, kind of orbital dynamics. And so a larger core means a less dense core. Iron is what it is. And so what you to get a less dense core, you have to mix in other elements. You have to mix in things like sulfur and carbon. And uh, most of the geochemists figure there's probably 10, 12% mixture of these other elements in, in, in the Martian core before Insight came there. Um, but it takes about 20% or 22% to, to get down to the low densities that, that we're um, uh, measuring. And what that means is that the melting temperature goes, goes um, way down. It's just like, you know, sprinkling si uh, salt on, a, on an icy sidewalk. You know, you, you, you uh, uh, change the melting temperature and, and suddenly it can melt even though you're below freezing. I'm sorry, it's depressing the melting temperature, not raising it. I always get that backwards. Yeah. You depress the melting temperature. And so the Mars core, um, whereas 
most people thought it should be solid. There, there was uh, some evidence that it was liquid before Insight got there, but um, no one could figure out why it would still be solid with the amount of heat that Mars must have lost uh, over, over the last you know, four and a half billion years. And the reason is, is because with all this sulfur and carbon in the core, the melting temperature is low enough to where if it was a, a pure iron core, it would have been you know, solid you know, billions of years ago, but there's enough, enough heat in there still to keep it liquid at these uh, lower melting temperatures. And so um, that's what allows the Martian core to remain liquid. And that has implications for magnetic field, has implications for the um, uh, heat processes of, of heat transfer in the mantle. And so it's opened up a, a lot of new uh, uh, studies into you know, how, how to reconcile this. It's not even clear how you can get that much material into the core, how much that much sulfur into the core. The, the geochemists are, are kind of pulling their hair out, trying to figure out how to get that much in. And so um, we're looking at a lot of different things, looking at some different interpretations of, of, uh, of core structure. And um, there's some things that are, that are uh, in peer review right now that I can't talk about that are really exciting in terms of, of being able to look at how the core works, things that we can't see on the earth because the core is a long ways away on the Earth. You know, it's 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 uh, I don't know three thousand kilometers down, and and on Mars it's only half that distance. So in, in a way, it's easier to see the core on Mars than it is on the Earth. Uh, so we we may be able to actually uh, elucidate some things about core structure um, that people hmm. are are not even able to do on the Earth. Interesting. Interesting. So I, I want to um, ask a little bit about sort of the, you know, the legacy of insight and, and what, uh, you know, what its impact is going to be on planetary science from now forward. Um, what do you think, like, so when we get a, you know, a big, a, a big new data set, like what insight delivered, it becomes sort of a tool for planetary scientists going forward. And, you know, as new missions go, they're going to be able to reference back to this. H how do you think that the insight data set, you know, the, the products that you created, uh, the scientific data products you created, how are they going to impact future studies of Mars, whether it's new rovers or new orbiters? Like, what do you think its biggest contribution to the, the Martian planetary science field as a whole? Well, I, I think the insight has sort of filled the, the 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 last kind of gaping hole in in our understanding of Mars. So, you know, we've been going to Mars with spacecraft since the 1960s, and we've you know uh, photographed its surface to incredible detail. Um, the geologists have have analyzed you know the surface features, the the volcanics, the tectonics, um, the the uh, erosional uh, processes. Um, we've looked at the chemistry of, of, of the surface. We've looked at the chemistry of the, the, the crust as a whole uh, using instruments that, that look at, you know, the gamma ray spectrum of, of particles coming up. We've looked at the, the uh, atmospheric circulation and, and composition. We've looked at the, the ionosphere, the solar wind, and the interaction with the, the atmosphere. Um, we've... we've really studied Mars uh, in, in, in a, an incredible amount of detail with, with I, I think there have been 40 different spacecraft sent to Mars, half of which didn't work, but still. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we, on one sort of one level, we'd never done more than scratch the surface. We really had never, you know, probed the, the depths of Mars. You know, we had uh, guesses based on analogy with the Earth, based on, 
you know, theories of, of how, you know, the, 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 the chemicals and, and the, the minerals separate uh, early in the history. And so we had a lot of theories for the inside of Mars, but we didn't have any data on it. And so <clears throat> that was kind of, you know, that chapter in the Mars book was really, really thin. Okay. So, you know, <laughs> we, we, we have a big chapter on the atmosphere, long chapters on geology and history, uh, you know, all this stuff, but you know, you get to the interior chapter and it's just a, a few pages and some, you know, hand-drawn, hand-drawn diagrams. Right. And so <laughs> insights really filled that gap. And now, you know, the, the sort of interior structure of the planet sort of provides a foundation for a, a lot of the other studies. So, you know, when you're looking at, at, you know, the volcanic history of Mars, um, the, the crustal thickness, the, the depth of the mantle, the, the, the temperatures in the mantle, which we're actually getting from the seismic data as well. Um, these all now inform, you know, how these volcanoes can, can form, how long lived they can be, what kind of magmas come out, you know, what their the viscosity is, whether they're going to explode into the atmosphere or just run along the surface as, as you know, you know water-like flood flows. Um, <clears throat> You know, where did the atmosphere of Mars come from? When was it formed? Most of the atmosphere actually comes from the interior of the planet. It comes out from volcanic vents. Um, when did that atmosphere form? When did it stop being replenished? Um, where did the water come from? And so this ties into the habitability of Mars. You know, when, when could Mars have possibly supported life? Um, that's tied really key, uh, really closely to... Uh, these key parameters about the interior of Mars and understanding its evolution from the formation four and a half billion years ago till today. And insight's going to be really foundational to um, supporting those kinds of, 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 uh, of studies. So, and that's just a seismic data. Like I said, you know, we have a, a you know, weather data, which is going to be a gold mine for people, you know, uh, planning, you know, uh, rovers on Mars, planning human missions to Mars, um, we've done a lot of, uh, of uh, studies on the soil mechanics, you know, how stiff the soil is, you know, um, we've dug into it, we've looked at its thermal properties, we've looked at, at you know, uh, its mechanical properties. <clears throat> so, you know, Insights one of the, 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 has one of the richest uh, data sets in terms of looking at, you know, what the top, you know, two feet of, of, of the Martian surface looks like. Mm -hmm, um, yeah. And, and so when you go to, to, to build a structure on Mars, you're going to go back and look at inside data, look at, you know, what the uh, compliance is of the surface, what the, the stiffness is of the, those upper few feet or few meters. And so um, <clears throat> I think, you know, insight's going to really be uh, a data set that people go back to for, for decades to come. So I, I want to ask, like, um, you know, whenever we answer questions in science that generally... Uh, invites more questions. You know, we start to think about new things that we don't know. Um, I know you said that maybe this was your last proposal, but you know, if you're thinking about the successors to Bruce Banner and and Insight 2.0, what are the next things we need to go after? What are the next big uh, questions to 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 really tackle? And what kind of instruments do we need? And what kind of missions do we need? Well, I mean, I I've spent you know, like you said, 30 years trying to put seismometers on Mars, but also on on other planets, and and I think. The other real um, legacy of the InSight mission is showing just how well seismometers work for you know planetary science. You know, mm -hmm. back in the 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 seventies, the sixties and seventies, you know, the Apollo seismometers were amazing, and 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 they you know 
produced much of the information, most of the information we know about the interior of the moon. And, and everybody was excited about seismology. Um, the Viking seismometers, Viking sent seismometers to, to Mars in the mid 70s. Um, one of them uh, was actually broken, never, never operated. The other one was, uh, it was kind of an afterthought on the payload. And so the seismometer was bolted to the top of the spacecraft. And so all it ever measured was the wind blowing the spacecraft around, unfortunately. <laughs> and I think, you know, that kind of soured people on seismology for, for decades. And, you know, um, there hasn't been another seismometer on uh, another planet, you know, since since Viking, um, there was one launched by, on a Russian mission that that failed back in the the 90s. But uh, Insight was the first seismometer in you know more than 40 years uh, mm -hmm. to, to 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 land on another planet. And the, the amazing success of this seismometer has really reinvigorated um, planetary seismology. And uh, already there's a, a a mission selected to go to the far side of the moon with a seismometer. Um, it's going to be launched, I think, in about a year and a half from now, called uh, Farside Seismic Suite. It's going on a commercial lander that's going to the far side of the moon. Um, there are proposals being uh, prepared right now for a lunar seismic network um, to sort of take, you know, the Apollo legacy and, and start to answer uh, a lot of the really uh, key questions about the moon um, that were left from the uh, Apollo seismic experiment. Um, there is a seismometer that's flying to, to um, Titan right now on the Dragonfly. Well, it's not flying right now. It's being built to fly to Titan right now on the Dragonfly mission, uh, which is uh, a helicopter that's going to be flying around on Titan. Uh, but when it lands, it's got a, a, a lightweight seismometer that's going to listen for a seismic activity on Titan. Um, there are concepts for Europa landers, uh, uh, one of the moons of Jupiter. Uh, Europa is really a, a seismically uh, fascinating planet because it's uh, it, it's an ice planet, right? It has an icy shell, and ice has really interesting seismic properties, and it's probably sitting over an ocean that's you know hundreds of kilometers deep. And so you know we have tides, we have uh, cracks in the ice that are spewing you know water from from you know tens of kilometers down, and, and the seismometer is going to be able to sort of uh, uh, image all of this stuff with with its you know sort of acoustic eyes and and so that's that's a really exciting mission uh, to to go to Europa so um, that's not even talking about you know sending things back to Mars which is going to be a hard sell after Insight um, we you know, we do have several <laughs> mission concepts that 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 we're sort of starting to push out there um, there's this one region on Mars called Cerberus Fosse where um, about Almost 90% of our Mars quake activity comes from this one very small region, uh, a faulted region that also shows recent volcanism. And so it's really be really fascinating to drop about a, a, a dozen small seismic sensors. Okay, so InSight had a very um, extremely exquisitely sensitive seismometer that, that required a lot of care and feeding. But if you're willing to give away a factor of 10 in sensitivity, you can get away with a, a, a seismometer that's you know, probably the size of a, of a baseball and, and, and can be uh, supported by a very small spacecraft, maybe one that doesn't even need a, a landing rocket. They can just you know, land on a parachute and survive you know, the, the shock of a parachute landing. And if you can land a, a dozen of those, uh, you can start doing triangulation on 
this uh, these earthquake swarms that are happening below Cerberus Fosse and understand, you know, what's going on in an active uh, volcanic tectonic plume on Mars. And so um, there's a, a young a, a young scientist on the Insight team that's sort of taking up the taking up the 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 baton and and, and really pushing for a mission like that uh, uh, on Mars. And and uh, and uh, I, I think that would really be a, a super cool thing to do. Cool. And right. I could go on for, for forever. I mean, having a, a network of seismometers on Mars, you know, uh, half a dozen seismometers circling the planet. You know, we had one seismometer and we had to go through really, you know, heroic processing uh, hoops to be able to to get, you know, information from the, these sig sig single signals. And on Earth, you know, today, most seismology is done with hundreds of seismometers at the same time and, and massive signal processing, you know, uh, parallel processing. And if we could do anything like that on Mars, we could start to see details of the Martian interior that would, you know, revolutionize our, our understanding of, of planetary processes. All right. So the, the uh, future someday. of planetary seismology is bright then, I guess is what we can say. <laughs> I, I, I think, I think that's, that, that's really clear. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Well, Bruce, this has been a tremendous conversation. Thank you so much for for stopping by and, and spending so much time with us. And, and, you know, congrats to you and the rest of the Insight team for just a job well done. Uh, I think it's a really special spacecraft and um, I'm really happy to have uh, uh, watched it over the years do all of its uh, great work. And, uh, you know, the team just really deserves a good slap on the back. Well, uh, thanks for your interest. I mean, it's it's been a, a, a an amazing ride for me, and and unbelievable that, that I've gotten to do this, and and I'm really happy that I've been able to share it with, you know, millions of people around the world that I, I, I'm hearing all the time about people that are that that have been inspired by it, who just you know look up look up in the sky, see that little little red dot up there, and and think about that that spacecraft up there doing these amazing things. Uh, it it never never fails to to you know make make give me shivers when I do that. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's special for me that way. I mean, my my name's on the little chip in there, so I uh, you know I <laughs> it's awesome. a little, little part of me on the surface of Mars forever now. So which uh, which I'm very excited about. So yeah, okay. Well, uh, again, thanks so much for for joining us today, and uh, I excited to hear more about planetary seismology in the future. That's it for this week, Martians. Huge thanks to Bruce for making this interview happen, and a thank you to the whole Insight team for some incredible work over the years. As I mentioned in the last show, I am still around. You should check me out on the Offnominal YouTube channel. Uh, you can see our site at offnom.com, where every week I join up with Anthony Colangelo and a series of amazing guests to talk about all kinds of space things. You can support that show and join our community Discord for just $5 a month. Check out offnom.com slash discord for more information on that. Have a great week and at Aries Martians. We Martians is an independent listener-funded podcast created by me, Jake Robbins, on planet Earth. You can reach us at info at wemartians.com or on Twitter at we underscore Martians.